0: Hello everybody and welcome back to Eyes on the Mize. My name is John and that's Ian. Hey, what's up? Not much. Uh, Today is February 8th and this is episode 49. Start your engines! It's time for the PTAER recap because this past week it was the Pro Tour and there's a lot of things to digest from all of that. Uh, Yeah.
1: A lot of draft, a lot of standard, uh, kind of seeing what a metagame, well, at least what the Pro Tour metagame was shaking out to be, what the pros thought were the, uh, the right calls for the weekend and such as decks goes for that.
0: Yeah, because the big thing to remember, which we'll, we'll get into later as well, but the PT metagame is not like any other metagame because they're trying to, you know, beat the best. They're trying to figure out what the decks are going to be and what decks are going to try to be and all that other fun stuff. So uh, this upcoming weekend, which is GP Pittsburgh, will give us a little bit of a better picture for how a larger-scale tournament might look in the standard format.
1: Yeah, so we saw, like, the first two weeks, like, before the Pro Tour, you know, you get this uh, SCG Tour uh, standard events. So they give you a kind of an idea of what, like, people are looking at. Then sometimes standard events get turned upside on their heads with the Pro Tour, but it usually takes a Grand Prix or two to kind of see where the format's at. Remember, like, after... Uh, Pro Tour Kaladesh, like we had eight different decks in that top eight. There was a couple different flavors of control, and it took about a month after the Pro Tour for it just to be like, okay, it's literally Turbo Emmercool or Spirits.
0: Yeah. With Green Black Delirium and the Marvel decks just being all they want to do. But point being, we're going to talk about that and we'll look forward to GB Pittsburgh. Uh, other thing for our eyes on the community, is that there's no Magic Story today, because the Ethervolt story ended last week, uh, but they're starting the Magic Story podcast, hosted by Blake Rasmussen, uh, and this week he interviews uh, Doug Beyer uh, about the creative process. A little bit for Kaladesh and a little bit going forward. It's only a half hour, and if you have the time, go give it a listen.
1: I unfortunately didn't have the time to take, check it out this week because of work being busy, but uh, I've heard from people who have listened to it, it's quite
0: interesting. Oh yes, it is great with a little, a few nuggets for Ket down the line. Oh my gosh, can we just get to that story already? <laughs> hey, we got Modern Masters twenty seventeen to tide us over until then, anyway. So. Oh my
1: god, I forgot spoiler soon starting up soon again.
0: It is. It's going to be fun. My bad. Anyways, not even
1: spoiler season. Just the, not spoilers, because. Or previews. Preview season. That's what it is. Because they're not spoilers yeah. unless it's leaked. Otherwise, sure. it's. Well, no, that's like that's like the official thing for because.
0: Yeah, it is. You're right. right.
1: Spoilers are when it's, you know, unofficial. But if it's official, it's preview.
0: Okay. So, let's go ahead and talk about Pro Tour Aether Revolt, which, as we talked about last week, was in Dublin, Ireland. Uh, Apparently it was fantastic. Uh, And the big decks that were the breakout decks of the the entire event, specifically standard, were green-black variants of of Winding Constrictor decks, whether they focused on Delirium or the Counter Synergies and mardu vehicles that was representing about 25 percent of the field
1: yeah uh just even like the overall thing so even just the, besides those two decks we did see a bunch of the either Jeskai or four color uh, Sahili copycat deck uh styles uh just to give an example of how dominant these three archetypes now we're including in this green black constrictor uh Green Black Constrictor has kind of like two different types to it. There's just Green Black Aggro and a Green Black Constrictor list. One the aggro lists are usually kind of focusing more on energy, uh, in terms of stuff like uh the Cub. Yeah, Montusca, Bristling uh, Hydra rampage, Bristling Hydra and those kind of things like that. The other constrictor decks, uh the actual what they're calling just a constrictor decks are looking more for uh Rishkar, Pima Renegade, uh, and counters, like one plus one plus one counters and such in those decks. Between those two styles of it, the four Earth Jeskai color uh, copycats and Mardu vehicles, some Mardu vehicles were actually four color because they were using uh, s- the Citadel.
0: Oh, yeah, Spire of Industry. No,
1: no, not Spire of Industry. They were using the uh, the blue red Fastland.
0: Oh, yeah, Spirebuff Canal. Yeah,
1: Spirebuff Canal. They're using the blue red Fastland to potentially have a metallic rebuke out of their sideboard uh, oh, yeah. for some versions of it. But of those, there were. so looking at I looked at online at the list of decks that finished 6 wins or better. There were 118 decks that finished 6 wins or better or were top 8 kind of thing. Out of those 118 decks, only 18 did not count as one of those variants.
0: Which is a staggering number. Like the 75% of the field was the number that I got looking at day 1 totals. And that was just the players who were playing those decks on day 1 of the pro tour. That's not even counting uh, conversion rates for day two, which we'll get to in a moment.
1: Yeah. I'm but yeah, sh- I'm 18
0: talking... of the top 118 decks not being one of those three is kind of silly. So
1: we're looking at like a blue-black control, two, a couple Teamer Aetherworks decks, a couple Grixis or Blue-Red control that's looking at uh, Tower, dynavolt Tower decks. Um, John and I are actually currently on a Grixis Tower deck uh, control style. It's hilariously fun to play but oh, it is. Uh, there are were a couple green-white tokens lists that I think some of the uh, I'm trying to remember what team brought them but a couple green-white tokens lists uh, there was an Esper Agro deck, which this basically that, it's, it, seen some. It, it, it's listed as Esper Aggro, but it's it's basically your uh, four colors, it's just basically blue-white spirits They're, or kind of like the evolution of Thraven Inspector, Toolcraft Exemplar, Scrap Heaps Count Ground, Ground Jerk, Spell Queller Gideon, our Avicen metallic rebuke decks deck and stone heart of Kieran, those kind of things uh there was a couple red black aggro decks there was a actual black green delirium style deck a jund constrictor deck there were a couple of jund decks and uh one actually made the top eight and that was a really cool jund energy aggro deck we might get to in a little bit from martin yuza but there was I mean, that guy's also, in, the,
0: in the Hall of Fame, so. Right, and there was a. He so, could do stuff like that. There was
1: a Soul Tide Delirium Control deck. Um, so, for as much as we saw cards like Ishkana and stuff like that in our last standard, and uh, like Traverse the Uvenwald, um, Grapple with the Past, there was like none of that this go round. Oh, there's even yeah, a Black Red they- Zombies deck, which I actually played against today online. That deck is so annoying.
0: <laughs> Especially for our style of deck, it's, it's incredibly annoying. Oh,
1: it's just like a—it's just like standard dredge, basically. Like you dump a bunch of your prized amalgams in the graveyard, you get it back with Haunted Dead, which pops both of those back, and now you have Scrap Heap Scrounger, which does like the same thing. Ugh, oh yeah, it's annoying.
0: Yeah, it is. But quite terrible.
1: Just to kind of get back to it, there weren't a lot. Like the deck styles out there, like there were decks that you know you could have success with other ones. It's just how we mentioned with the pro tour metagame is that the pros were like, these are the top three decks that we feel like go well against the field. They, you know, sacrifice a little bit with certain other matchups, but they felt everyone else would be on these particular decks and we get a massive, a massive glut.
0: <laughs> now the 75% stat came from me because I was looking at uh, day one decks and in green black, I counted green black, delirium green black constrictor, and a few of the other green black X decks all together. And then with Copycat, there were four variants of Copycat. There was Jeskai and Four-Color Copycat. And then there were Jeskai and Four-Color Marvel Copycat.
1: Oh, yeah. Where they play Etherworks
0: Marvel as a way to sneak the combo out on their opponent's turn. Now, the funny thing was uh, the traditional control Copycat decks only had about a 25% conversion rate from their pilots making Day 2. And it it didn't necessarily have to do with their... Pilots doing poor draft because they only had about five uh, match points, so they got about a win and two draws, or about two wins each. Yeah. Um, whereas the Marvel copycat versions just did straight up better than their pure control counterparts.
1: Yeah. So there's you know like different schools of thought on this, but the uh, it's looking like if you want to do well, there are some eight win decks you know that end up with Sehile. There was like one just got Saheeli deck that didn't have it in there, like they won eight games went eight wins but there's i feel like it's vulnerable in a bunch of ways but well, the
0: big reason why mardu vehicles was the best represented deck like mardu vehicles was 25 percent of the field no joke uh it had like 95 pilots i want to say it was uh and it took and it put about 75 percent of them into the day two
1: i'll tell you what unlicensed disintegration is a hell of a magic card
0: oh yes it is um so, over the weekend, I played two standard PPTQs with our with the Grixis Tower deck that Ian and I are playing. Uh, overall, I played in a six-round event and a five-round event. I went six, four, and one. And I should have won the draw, but that's neither here nor there. Uh, and one of my losses was because my opponent was playing Mardu Vehicles, and I was at three, and they had Unlicensed Disintegration.
1: Yeah, just to be able to bolt off of a creature destruction spell is just bananas.
0: Yeah. Now, that said, even though this was a heavy metagame of green, black, vehicles, and copycat, there were some sweet decks, like there was a sweet Grixis improvised deck that was on camera during round four. Uh, Unfortunately, it's a bit fragile, because even though Bastion Inventor is a really great play on turn three, if you can't play it on turn three, it's not as good.
1: Oh, yeah, absolutely. And like I mentioned, Martin Yuza had a really cool little Jund Energy aggro deck, so it's kind of like the evolution of what we saw, like, Last time we saw the, the Pummeler decks, which were, you know, focused on going all in on that Pummeler combo and then they kinda of moved away from the because, to be fair it's the weakest card
0: in the deck. Um, especially in a format with Fatal Push and Liliana Oh and, and especially easy now, ways of killing and it. And then now we have Shock. Like it's Yeah. It definitely
1: was one you always <laughs> sideboard out, but now it's gone to like value with the Green Belt Rampagers, the Long Tusk cubs. It's it's basically playing black, specifically for uh, scrap Heaps scroungers return from the graveyard f- ability a f- yeah. four fatal push in the sideboard and unlicensed disintegration yeah other than that it's just like a straight green red aggro value deck with a couple chandras in there it's got some attuned to help you get there some removal and shock and harness lightning it plays fleet wheel cruiser and heart of Kirin. like fleet wheel yeah. cruiser a uh, uh, vehicle we haven't seen a whole lot of like, not even in, like, the Marty vehicles list, they're not really playing that. They're playing Heart of Cure and, and like, Aether Sphere Harvesters, usually. Yeah.
0: I remember seeing Fleet World Cruiser in, like, the red-white vehicles decks, but not so much in the Marty ones.
1: Yeah, the Mardu ones don't really go for it. There was actually some... There some variants of Mardu vehicles that were playing Cultivator's Caravan, which I think was rather spicy. That's the uh, three-mana, five-five artifact vehicle that taps to add one mana of any color mana pool with a crew of three.
0: Yeah, it helps you catch your colors if you're off on colors a little bit. Uh, and it also is just randomly a 5-5. Five five. It's a beater, especially if you're putting, like, a Depala out there. Just a straight beater. <laughs> My opponent casted in Game 1 against me, and I was like, nope, that's getting negated. <laughs> that does not get to resolve.
1: <laughs> no, 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 no.
0: <laughs>
1: no, uh, um, but it's, yeah, overall, like, there were some sweet decks in there, but something to be aware of if you're going, f- going to Grand Prix Pittsburgh this weekend or a standard event anywhere...
0: Be like aware. Day. Be
1: o- yeah, Oh yeah. Game days this weekend too. Be aware of those three decks. Have a plan.
0: Yes, those are the decks you definitely need to have a plan for. Unless you know that there's that one guy who always plays mono red, despite how bad it is. Have a plan. I will
1: also say this: I actually played against a mono red aggro deck the other day. <laughs> I
0: destroyed it handily. Oh yes, it was. It was fun. Uh, at the end of day one, there was a little bit of controversy. Uh, resolving a situation between two players who were uh, on camera in the feature match area, which, by the way, hats off to Wizards for putting the feature match area kind of like on an elevated little platform in the middle of it all. Yeah, let's just
1: just pause, like, just go over that. The way they've set this up, usually, like, it would be like a couple, four little tables with, like, a background that, you know, kind of represents what the whole set is, and have some little tchotchkes, like, for Battle for Zendikar, they had the Hedrons, and for, uh,
0: For shadows, they had the graves graves
1: with the graph diggers cages and stuff over it this one they just straight up were like stage in the middle they had the uh the boot like the uh the desk the news desk up in the second level like overlooking the floor i thought it looked amazing and if they can find venues that they can do stuff like that again yes please do stuff like
0: that I will say that for PT Amanket, I do not believe that they they have the ability to do that in the Music City Center where the PT is going to be held.
1: Oh, right, uh, you would or know, at,
0: or at least for the at least for the balcony, they won't be able to pull that off. Uh, but they can easily pull off kind of the elevated platform.
1: Yeah, I think um, I think it was just a cool little coincidence of how like the space that they had in Dublin worked. But yes, I thought it was incredible. And when I saw that, I was like, "Wait, where's the background? Oh, wait, they're not doing a background this time. This is great." Oh, yeah, absolutely.
0: Um, fun Fun note,
1: though, that if you watch the videos of it, um, just kind of an example for it. One thing we had to actually... Like, Trick actually had to make an exclamation... Like, a ex, you know, explanation, command. an explanation for. Not, I'm saying explanation, but exclamation, because you used exclamation point to do it, trigger it in chat, but it was for headphones. because Because of it being in an open area where the tables were in the middle of all the action... Competitors up there had were were like noise canceling headphones, but they had microphones so they could communicate back and forth with their opponent across the table, so that you could actually like you know still say like counter this or hey let me check that and not have to be like wait what'd you say? So
0: yeah, it was just like the ones they used for the uh, world's uh, championship.
1: Yes, so yeah, cool little thing on that. So but the controversy.
0: So uh, play I I don't know, remember the names of the players. Uh, tian, so I'm just going to all
1: right. So Yuan uh, in the U.S. on the Fire Squad, was playing Black Green Constrictor, first thing, Cesar Segovia, who was... And these were both 7-0 and players going into the last round of the day, round 8.
0: That's right, and Cesar... Uh, Caesar eventually won the match, but that's neither here nor there. He so, was on, Caesar.
1: He's on Black Red Aggro from Panama.
0: So, uh, Cesar had a Weldfast Engineer in play, as well as a Heart of Kirin. Um, Weldfast Engineer, not a card that people probably expected to see, but making your Heart of Kieran a... Uh, a 7-4 Vigilant Flyer seems very good. Um, so Caesar uh, says, go to combat, or it or just simply says combat, uh, and then taps his Weldfast Engineer to crew his heart of Kieran.
1: Well, he basically well, he, uh, he kind of says, like, he basically shortcuts saying combat. Then Tianwen asks, hey, can I see that? Grabs, they, like, asks if he can see the Weldfast Engineer, looks at it, realizes that it says, at the beginning of combat target artifact creature you control gets plus two plus zero until end of turn it's the it's a one black red three three human artificer artificer so he he puts it back on the ground and they got like he try, goes to crew uh his uh
0: part of Kieran, and then chan wen calls judge because now the issue is not because that caesar misses trigger but because um caesar was using the shortcut rules which there are actual rules for verbal shortcuts that you can do in competitive rules enforcement level to go between different phases of the game uh and combat the word combat means that i pass priority all the way to my declare attacker step which means that it is too late to crew vehicles and that you miss any triggers uh that would be put onto the stack at the beginning of your combat step and the judge call took about 16 minutes to resolve
1: yeah it so if we'll put the link to the video down below, but it usually it starts around uh, four and a half minutes in, right around when uh, Caesar casts his uh, Wellfast Engineer. So remember, Wellfast Engineer at this point has summoning sickness, so it can't attack. So he's just using it to crew and then get the bonus off of it. Um, it's really long, really complicated. Fortunately, they bounce back and forth between a bunch of the other matches they had going on in the feature match area at the time. But remember. If you don't have a reason not to, crew your darn, uh, <laughs> crew your vehicles in the main phase, please.
0: It is just easier that way, like, uh, and it like, avoids that exact uh, complication that came up.
1: Now there are certain cards that you actually might want to wait until your beginning of combat stage. For example, or there's certain cards in play. Toolcraft Exemplar, the one, yeah. the white one-one artist Artificer says at the beginning of combat on your turn if you control an artifact toolcraft exemplar gets plus one plus, plus two plus one until end of turn so if you're looking to use your toolcraft exemplar to crew say your heart of kieran at three as a one one it can't do that on its main phase so you say pre beginning of combat phase toolcraft exemplar becomes a two one i use then crew my heart of kieran move to declare attackers yeah then you do that if you just say attack, like move to attacks, you're going to straight to your declare attackers phase. You miss that two plus two plus one uh, bonus on the toolcraft crafting. Actually, does that happen? Because isn't is it a uh, for the exemplar anyway?
0: Oh, is it like a mandatory trigger? It says
1: at the beginning of combat on your turn, if you control an artifact, it gets this until end of turn. <clears throat>
0: uh, that sounds like a beneficial trigger. That if you missed it, um, you would pass, you would basically. The judge is going to ask your opponent if they want to put it on the stack.
1: Okay, yeah, because there's also a if you control three or more artifacts, it also gains first strike. So, yeah,
0: <clears throat> there are certain triggers like that where it's just kind of like I go to attacks, I attack you, leave it unblocked, and then I go, okay, you take three. And in some cases, that's fine because you remembered it. Uh, but it does depend on the situation.
1: Just just always uh, announce, always announce
0: all your triggers. <laughs> yeah, just a announce all your triggers. Don't forget any of them. Um, that's just easier for everybody. Uh, The other thing that you might care about is, like, if they have something like a pacification array in play, specifically for limited, like, if you go to combat and they go to tap a creature, you can tap the creature to crew your vehicle and still attack with it.
1: Right, yes. Or if you have
0: two vehicles, they tap your vehicle you've crewed, and then you use it to crew your other vehicle. Stuff like that.
1: Yeah, correct. So, like, you, you do have a chance to respond in that kind of situation, but if you go to your declare attacker stage, you have missed the opportunity to crew a vehicle.
0: Which which was kind of the whole part of the controversy, and uh, Kai Buddha did a very scathing comment of it after the fact, uh, after day one about it. Uh, he did a little bit of a retraction the next day, uh, but the big TLDR is that Wizards had to send out set up a press release saying, yes, the judges ruled correctly, but we're always open to reviewing old rules and rule applications. In these scenarios, so I really expect a update before uh, Amaket comes out. Oh yeah,
1: absolutely. They they definitely need to. I feel, given some of the murkiness around. So the the weird thing is, is if you do it plays on Magic Online, you have your stops set there, so you automatically know, okay, stop, crew my vehicle, go. But paper is different because you know you just take some shortcuts that don't you can't quite do online. But they really need to, like, kind of look at the rules and be like, you know, we need to figure this one out.
0: Yeah. Moving on to happier news. uh, Well, happier for some. uh, Even Flock, who has had three Pro Tour top eights of recent past, uh, one of which was with one of my least favorite standard decks ever. um, (laughs) The (laughs) blue-white control deck that won with Sheep. (laughs) It had no win-cons in the main deck. It was so... Uh, anyways. It was, <laughs> it's win-con was Elixir of Immortality. That was a dumb deck. It was, that deck was so, so dumb. It was so hilarious. It was... It was...
1: Uh, just go look it up. It was the uh, Sphinx's Rev control M15
0: deck.
1: Pro Tour. Yeah.
0: man. Uh, but even Flock missed out of his fourth top eight to Paolo Vittor da Madarosa, which is... This was his 11th top eight, I want to say. Something ridiculous like that. Pe- Something weird like that. Pe- He's... Uh, PV's got a lot. <laughs> but yeah. So it, remember... It, it, it,
1: Four top eights are kind of like the baseline for Hall of Fame considerations. So, like, yeah, Ivan was, like, this close to potentially getting that Hall of Fame, like, for, Hall of Fame uh, resume, fourth top eight on there. Um, even I mean, how,
0: did, so, how, how bad did he miss? He, he missed it by 0.4%. I think, I think it was
1: actually point zero four. I think I, I
0: missed it. 0.04%? Jeez. Like,
1: <laughs> yeah, uh, it's in the meet the uh, ninth to 16th player's. It was point 0. zero, yeah. So going into round uh, sixteen, he was behind two percent on tiebreakers to PV. Okay. When it went to the final stand, Ziga went from point two to 004 percent.
0: Oh, that is like oh. That's and that's <laughs> such a 0. thin margin.
1: Zero four, not even like a fifth, or like yeah, it's like insanely small margin.
0: That's like a difference between one of their opponents winning or losing a game.
1: Or one of their opponents. That's and, how small like, that margin is. And by is. game, we mean like somebody going maybe 2-1 and one instead of 2-0. Oh. Yeah. Like they lost a game in a match. Like that's the difference <laughs> somewhere down the road. It run. Was so
0: silly. But Anyways.
1: still kind of great. Um, I love the fact that Ivan's doing really well still. Um, yeah. He's he's just been kicking butt from Slovak Republic for a long time now. Yeah. Um, I hope he gets it. To be perfectly fair, like I re- he's one of those players like that. I really hope that he gets that fourth one to get the consideration for the the Pro, uh, Hall of Fame.
0: Oh yeah, uh, and we could actually do a whole episode on like Hall of Fame stuff. For example, Shahar Shenhar has two World Championships but no Pro Tour top eights, and even with two, even with being like the first or second uh, two time World Champion, he's not in consideration for Hall of Fame even close. Granted, his career is far from over, but even just two world titles is not enough to put you into Hall of Fame.
1: Oh, yeah, for sure. But speaking of, like, crazy people on his team, like, his team is actually in third place over on the stands. We'll get the teams in, a few, in, like, a minute or two. Actually, right now. Let's just switch into yeah, teams. Yeah, let's go ahead
0: and talk about teams. Because so, this was the first year of the team series. Ian, what was the team series all about again? So the team series
1: is you get six players, um, professional. They try to – it's a lot of your big, big-name players who are kind of, like – on the gravy train kind of thing like they're either gold have multiple pro tour invites over the next couple ones up until our our devastation um so it's six pros on a team and based off of the pro points that you get from your standings for the best five players on your team they all get totaled together and that becomes your team points total so yeah. at the end of this year season so which is going to be since this is the kind of test year it's only gonna be the top two uh for this one uh so After our devastation, they get to go to the world championships to face off against each other.
0: Oh, yeah. And that's going to be fun. So, right now. Oh, yeah. And the people who score are the top five of your six-player team.
1: Yeah. So, it's one of those, like, you don't have to have everybody do well. It's like you have one of your guys can just, like, completely bomb out of limited and, like, go, like, 05 and just drop out of the tournament. And you can still do well for your team. Like, it doesn't harm you. But it makes it harder yeah. for harder for you to get there. So right now... Speaking cur- of... So, like I mentioned, third place team is the face-to-face games, the Canadian team, but it's kind of Canadian. It's got Alexander Haynes, Sam Pardee, Steve Rubin, Jacob Wilson, Yvonne Flock, and Oliver Tew. They're sitting at 44 points right now. None of their players hit the top eight. However, because of really strong performances by Yvonne and a bunch of the other players on his team, they have 44 points. The top two teams right now are MTG Mint Card, which... It's like the star-studded team from the Asia-Pacific region. Li Tian, Jason Chung, Huao Xiaoshan, Kelvin Chu, Eduardo Sajalik, and Namsung Wook. Those guys are killing it, but they're tied at 49 points with Mua- Mua- Mushashi. I butchered that one. But it has Kantaru Yamamoto, Yuya Watanabe, Ken Yukihiro, Yuchi Ichikawa, Ter- Teruya Kakume, and Shota Yasuoka. It's the Japanese murderer's row. Yeah, there's no surprise. I am not shocked in the least that they are tied for top right now.
0: Not at all. That's that's uh, like and I then, think that's like
1: two or three Hall of Famers, multi like a bevy of top eight performances, of Pro Tours, a World Champion or two. It's insane.
0: Yeah. Uh, in fourth place is Dex Third, and in sixth place is Dex Army. So the uh, Dex teams are doing very well. We'll get to why they did so well in a moment. Uh, and then we had some surprise finishes. For example, uh, Conflagris, which is definitely up there for best team name, um, got ninth at, with thirty six points. But one of their players didn't make it because they broke because he broke his leg playing basketball before the PT.
1: Um, what, and he couldn't go. Yeah. So, like I mentioned, like your top five results, they had five players. <laughs> they had no they had no room to give on this. Like they were taking their five players who were theirs records. And they got thirty six pro thirty six points to start off. Ninth place is great. Uh, I think their top finishing player was Panagiotis Papadopoulos, who finished fourteenth. Um, helped them boost a little bit, getting up there on the things. But good luck, good job to them. And I can't wait. I mean, probably not going to be in contention. You know, unless they like just absolutely trounce the next pro tour to like actually make the win here. But hey, they got five players and they did ninth. That's great.
0: I mean, this this this. This season is going to give us some good metrics for figuring out how many points you're going to need to make, say, the top two or the top four when you look at future team championships. So this will be an interesting little metric to look at in the future.
1: Oh, yeah. And so, so on the flip side of that, I mean, we had some other ones up towards the top, like Lingering Souls, which had a bunch of uh, some good pros doing well there. Uh, team Channel Fireball Ice with PV, Cigar- Mike Siguris, Joel Larson, Ben Stark, Andre Straski, Eric they did eighth. Puzzle Quest, you know, expect him to be up there. Uh, the Finnish- the Finns, 13th place. Awesome for them. Mm-hmm, nice. Yeah. But on the flip side, some shocking things is uh, Team Mutiny, which has pros like David Ochoa, Jerry Thompson, Josh Cho, Justin Cohen, Matt Severa, Sam Black. Kind of the, uh, some of the remnants of the old Team Ultra Pro. Only at 29th place out of 32 teams. They had 19 points. They didn't have an amazing pro tour. And also tied with them is one of the other Japanese teams we like you know, mentioned last week. Kenji Sumura, Toshi Fujita, Mash Oshi, Makahito Mahara, Tazuyuki Takamura, and Ryoshi Tamada. Some really great players. Only 19 points as well, as well there. So it kind of like dropped really far down. Um, hopefully we can see them pick it up but again this is the first year so sometimes all it takes is like two or three of your players like if you have like three players that just kind of like eh, do well three of your players do too well but if like yeah. the majority of your team like kind of does a middling finish you're just going to drop down the standings really quick now keep in mind the top place team had 49 points and the lowest place team had 15 points so it's not like even the lowest place team got 15 points
0: well i believe that this is based off of total pro points earned at the pt yeah and you get three pro points for showing up.
1: Yeah, so <laughs> they kind of so the last fifteen. Okay, so fifteen points is baseline, up. but that was yeah. Team NorCal, and that was the team of players that had just you know won a bunch of RPTQs and local events and a couple of GP finishes that got them to the Pro Tour. So, you know, just a bunch of RPTQ finishers and stuff like that, you know, banded together to try and you know test and get there, uh, ran into the big boys and. Yep. But
0: sometimes the tall weed needs to get cut down. Yeah,
1: but even then, so still great for them for getting there and odd stuff. So it's you know still really early for this. They still have almondket and hour of devastation to go. So if we're looking at this, we can probably expect to see some of the top teams pick up about 50-ish points. So if you know you basically your team spikes the pro tour your team wise, you can about 50 points. So it could swing up here and there um setting yourself up off the out of the gate quick is great uh the difference between first and sixth place is 10 pro is 10 pro points so there's kind of a bit of a gap there um that just shows how some of the top teams are well doing uh i'm looking forward to seeing how this continues apparently the players themselves were just absolutely loving it because it gave them rooting interest outside of what they would normally do like yeah you could be on your testing team cool but now it's like yes i absolutely want to root for this or if you have friends on another team you can root for your team their your buddy's team and stuff like that so
0: and now if you're having like a bad week and you're like you know man i just don't like my deck i kind of want to just drop it's like no no no. your friends are counting on you now <laughs> you can't drop you have to do well yeah
1: it does give you more of an incentive instead of just going like oh well you know i made day, i would have made day two you know x and four but and eh, whatever i'll just go to side events tomorrow it's like no you, could, you jam as many pro points as you can into your schedule. You do it. You do it now. <laughs> so, oh, one other yeah. thing we didn't mention put in the show notes, but mentioned is the the uniforms. So, one of the aspects oh, yeah. of it is you had to have a team logo, a team name, and a uniform. Some of them were great. Some of them not so much. Uh,
0: some of them were glorified soccer jerseys. Others were t-shirts that were screen printed on. Yeah.
1: Um, for instance, the Dex Army ones are kind of on the soccer jersey-ish thing, but to be fair, like, they're actually kind of decent looking. Um, the ones that are kind of most you "quote unquote" esports-ish, I guess the esports award goes to the, the Channel Fireball teams of Ice and Fire. I mean, granted,
0: their jerseys were slick.
1: Yeah, they were slick, but like you look at them and you're like, yes, that's esports. <laughs> they they definitely pulled inspiration from like what you would see if you're like watching League of Legends or Starcraft team kind of jerseys. Um, to a team, I think it was. Opportunity team, which is Pierre Dagen, Magnus Lantos, Gab Nassif, uh, Matteo More, Marco Camalucci, and Gregor Skowalski. They just had, like, gray hoodies that had, like, their little tiny, like, O logo on, uh, like, the breast side of it. Like, where your breast pocket would go, kind of thing like that. And, like, their team and, like, the player name on one side. Very simple. Um, it ranged from that to that. So, uh, hopefully... I I, I will say this about the coverage. I was really hoping that we would see more in terms of like, hey, this is the team, these are the players, this is their jersey, so look for the jersey kind of thing like that. I didn't really see any kind of... I I could have missed it because I was... Due to the time differences, I was sleeping during a lot of it, but
0: I don't know. I will say that in between certain rounds, like when they would go to their commercial break, which I don't know if I like them going to slideshows and playing the Magic Duels music when they're going to break for a commercial... This doesn't Chat didn't like it I'll put it that much but they did go through some slides of here's the team picture for this team and here's who's on it and here's their logo
1: yeah but like I said I wish they'd had some some more of a feature kind of like a rundown or a place where you could go to kind of click through the jerseys um yeah I definitely want to bring that up with you know, I know I have some ears that I could be like yo here's an idea um but a way like kind of like a, a team page or like because the te- to be fair when they're like okay oh, yeah, the teams are here, and they were just, like, the little names of the teams. And I'm like, I thought they had to do jersey designs. And maybe it could be a thing in the future where, like, they have to submit the jersey design ahead of time. Or, like, hey. They did. Oh, I meant, like, but, like, so that, like, they actually have the art assets that they could put on a website. So you could oh, see right. and click through and be like, okay, I want to see. I'm looking for top-level games. I want to, like, I know who's on top-level games. But in a crowd, I want to be able to be like, okay, I see somebody on the back table. Or they're from top-level. or Because you could see, like, somebody from Channel Fireball Ice or Channel Fireball. Fire, fire um teams like you know puzzle quest which is just like a maroon top with like white little lines on it and just said puzzle quest on the front doesn't stand out nearly as much but if you see something like that having like kind of association um i feel like would be beneficial and a boon towards uh future instances of the team series
0: now the, the team series is currently only restricted to pro tours i don't know if they want to extend it to like gp finishes but I think that's going to be the next step after they solidify how the Pro Tour series works.
1: Yeah, that could be something. Um, I think one thing they wanted to do is I think they were trying to push away. when they, they changed rules on your qualification and Pro Tour uh, points. Or your points that you earn during the season that can qualify you towards like silver, gold, and platinum.
0: Yeah, they bumped them up a bit.
1: Uh, but also kind of limited the amount of GPs you could like put towards your qualifying points. So they yeah, don't. You can only
0: use your like top five GP finishes, anyways.
1: So what's kind of hard is like, say you have a bunch of European teams, you would force a lot of the European teams to come over to the US to play a lot of Grand Prix and it's kind of hard, um, yeah. especially for South American teams that really puts them at a disadvantage because flights are expensive, uh, visas yeah. are a mess from some of those things. I know that's what makes Willie Adele so great in the community is that like he helps these guys out with it. like all the Dex Army team, uh, the Dex Army Dex third, and I think it's Liga Magic. I think is our other team yeah is it league of magic it's league yeah, yeah league of magic yeah um they're like kind of decks too but they're from like europe but anyway all of those guys are from south america so he's helped them like walk through their procedures he basically set like the sop the standard operating procedure on how you get there from for yeah. those guys so to switch to a gp would put a heavy honest on something that they were already trying to kind of like they didn't want people grinding out gps left and right
0: yeah, which is also why they took away the GP master slot, because uh, like, BBD had like 50-some-odd pro points from GPs, and he traveled to like a ton of them. Yeah, so. and there was
1: one where he actually missed. It was GP Minneapolis, and then the disqualification happened. He's like, well, I made it hard on myself by not going to that GP because I thought I was already out of contention. Turns out the disqualification <laughs> happens. Then I'm back in the race, and it literally came down to the last round
0: <laughs> to yeah.
1: actually – pull it out like if he had just gone to gp minneapolis and like got like a pro point or two like finished x and three he would have been like wouldn't have had any kind of drama at the end but that kind of grinding oh, wow. that they want to stop <laughs> just came into play here so
0: oh yeah anyways let's go ahead and talk about the top eight because uh sunday was jam-packed full of stuff and the top eight included one Jund, Enterd- one Jund Energy list at the hands of Martin Yuza, one Green Black Delirium deck, and six Mardu Vehicles lists.
1: Yeah, and we say, like, kind of Delirium deck, this was, uh, was Green Black Aggro at Yon Cassander hand. Uh, four Mindrak Demons. Mm-hmm. Uh, had a couple Traverse Umalds and Anissa. Like, in terms of cards that are looking for uh, Delirium, that's it. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> like, it, even calling it Delirium is, like, kind of a, a push. There was no it's, It wasn't like your Delirium decks of Pass where it's looking to literally dump everything into its graveyard. Like, it just wants enough to basically get Mindwrecked Demon out on 4 to be a massive 4-5 flying trample creature in the air and just bash.
0: And it's still playing the Windy Constrictor synergies as well with... Nissa Voices, Indicar, Walking Ballista, and all those other fun creatures. Yeah,
1: fun thing to note is a lot of decks were shying away from what they would used to be playing with uh, X-1s. Uh, I know there was the... Um, but I, I
0: wanted to mention, like, we thought, you think that Shock's oppressive to uh, Pummeler? Walking Ballista is, <laughs> is really good against Pummeler.
1: Oh, yeah. Um, it's the... Oh, not the Aether Siphoner. It's the Black 2-1...
0: Oh, Glint Sleeve Siphoner. Glint
1: Sleeve Siphoner, that's it. Yeah, the, the two ones. some decks were playing it, but with walking ballistas everywhere and counters getting everywhere, with Winding Constrictor synergies, like, it just goes, beep, ping it right off, and no. Yeah, <laughs> you line. are very, very sad. So, well, X2s were kind of like the play, like, you had to have, like, X2 toughness, but there's two of two decks, and six, yeah. six Marty Vehicle and-
0: decks. The big thing with the Vehicles decks now is that they're now playing enough lands to main deck Gideon. Because most of the Vehicles decks were super lean to the ground, 19 to 20 lands. Because Smuggler's Copter can help you get rid of excess ones and find your find you extra lands. Uh, and you had your Gideons on the board. Now you just play your Gideons f- up front because Gideon Ally of Zendikar is a fantastic magic card.
1: Yeah, and like I mentioned, they're playing a bunch of Spire Bluff Canals. And they're also playing a couple Aether Hubs in some decks. Uh, Spire of Industry that's another card it's didn't really see a whole lot mentioned didn't, hasn't seen a price jump which is kind of weird considering the popularity of this but it's the uh, land the rare land that tap to add a, a Wingdings colorless to your mana pool you can also tap it pay one life add one mana of any color to your mana pool activate this ability only if you control an artifact great way to fix because basically every single one of these Mardu vehicle decks is playing blue out of the sideboard
0: yeah Usually for something like, as you mentioned, Metallic Rebuke.
1: Funnily enough, the two that weren't of the top six playing blue were the top two finishers. Um, funnily <laughs> enough, actually, one of them uh, at Eduardo Sadilik's hand had two spell collars in the sideboard.
0: That's a very good, very good card against uh, aggressive strategies. Oh, yeah. It trades the creature and it gives you a creature in return. Like, so. like I mentioned
1: earlier, they're playing. Mo- it's mostly for Metallic Rebuke or Ceremonious Rejection, obviously to help in the mirror match. Uh, one of them was playing the Gates. One of them was playing, uh, like I said, the spell Spellcaller. Another one was just had the Metallic because That was it. Yeah. Yep. Uh, so, very powerful strategy. <laughs> A lot of the deck numbers are kind of around the 2 to 3 Gideon range.
0: Yeah, there's one 4 Gideon deck. And all all the numbers in the Mardu Vehicles list aren't super, like, set in stone. I mean, 4 Heart of Curin was pretty universal. Uh, the funny one was in Eduardo Sagilek's deck because he played 1 Implement of Combustion. <laughs> Uh, in the main deck which I was like that's nifty Uh, and then I think there was another one that I saw at some point that had a um, I must have been mistaken I thought it was the one with the uh, the gain life implement I was like oh that seems really good in the mirror or something like that Um, (laughs) so yeah you just get these you just get this this weirdness where you have this oddball implement of combustion sitting in the main deck
1: now one thing to note of these is of the decks that could play it basically every I think it was all but one. there was out of the potential 32 copies i think it was 31 scrapheap scroungers
0: well scrounger is amazing against the Jeskai Sahili decks and the four colors of healy decks yeah that's what it because it's near impossible to kill no yeah
1: okay so out of the top eight decks out of the out of the 32 potential the only one that wasn't playing the full set of four was Jan Cassandra with his green black uh delirium aggro deck he played three
0: <laughs> <laughs> which is prob- which you're probably looking back at that going man I should have played four instead. The
1: card is ridiculous. Fatal Push was the top uh, non-creature spell with a bullet. Yeah, seventy-five percent of decks are playing that, and of the yeah. one hundred eighteen deck pull for the the six wins and above, it's it's ridiculous. It's a good card. Yeah. Um. So vehicles. Uh,
0: so vehicles decks well represented in the top eight. The entire top four were all vehicles decks. Yeah, they, and so the finals was obviously a mirror match. Uh,
1: and yeah, and it went to five games, and the uh, the winning card of the weekend was a sideboard, release the gremlins. That's the XX red sorcery that reads, destroy X target artifacts, create X-2-2 two two red gremlin creature tokens. Uh, the The winner of the Pro Tour was uh, Lucas esper or... Uh, I think it's how you say his last name. Uh, But he, Lucas Esper he won against Marcio Carvalho by releasing the Gremlins for five, destroying, uh, I think he had a Heart of Curran and another.
0: I think it was Heart of Curran and Thopter. Yeah, and a
1: Thopter token out. And then all Marcio could do was play a. uh, He played a Chandra, got a land off of it, and was like, well, hand. Yeah. So the, the loading ready run. Uh, reveal uh, preview, preview, preview card, card. <laughs> ended up sealing the Pro Tour for somebody and uh pretty cool. They actually mentioned it on a on Reddit and added Graham and Graham was like, "Yo, that's so great, I love it."
0: So I mean, is this the best um, LOR card since uh, in Soul Artifact? Oh,
1: without a doubt, since in th- soul Artifact, because remember, <laughs> in soul Artifact was the one in the blue enchantment aura, the enchanted artifact, enchant artifact is a creature with base power and toughness five five, addition to other types. That was the uh, blue red artifact earned soul decks, which were hilarious, hilarious at uh, PT. Uh, it was origins yeah, origins. So,
0: granted that deck didn't win the Pro Tour. Um, that was Mike Sigrist getting hosed on a mulligan to five in the last game.
1: But it was still like one of those decks. Oh yeah. where it was, it just, was still it, the,
0: the breakout deck of that of that tournament. Oh, and it was
1: great. Uh, also to mention, the winner Lucas Esperberthood went twelve and zero in constructed. Now remember nine and zero. Or yeah.
0: So there's five rounds of standard. Five round standard. Or ten, ten, ten rounds. rounds of, five rounds of standard each day. So that's ten rounds total. He went ten and zero in the Swiss rounds, and then he won two consecutive rounds to close out the week. Yeah,
1: because he had enough to skip the first quarterfinal round. He played in semifinals and the finals.
0: And the finals. Yeah. Man. Which is silly. That's like really good.
1: Yeah. Like. Oh, and one thing I wanted to bring up, too. Like, we didn't really bring this up, uh, but Constructor was great. Like, just beware for Marty Vehicles, guys. Like, we can't really we <laughs> uh, can't, we can't yeah. really go more into that deck than, you know, it's already been said. Like, it's straightforward. It's a good deck. It's solid. Heart but, of Kieran is the, ridiculous and bananas.
0: Yeah, and the reason the pros played it was because they wanted to find a good deck against Jessica Saheeli, and they found that the best way to beat it was to make sure that they could never cast a Sahili. Um... And that's what Marty Vehicles does, where it just goes, you know, I'm gonna play these threats on every single turn and you're gonna have to have an answer. And if you if you have a hand full of Sahelis and Philadel Guardians, you're never gonna get a chance to cast them because they're never they're either never gonna live or you're never gonna get the window.
1: Or yeah, or they'll have like air people era attackers that'll just be able to all right, crew up my heart of Kirin. I gotcha. Yeah. It's like you can stick your stick your Saheli and plus your Saheli, but it's going to die to Heart of Curin.
0: Yeah. So which is a little but but uh, did you, <sighs> that did, deck is so so John did you get to catch any of the drafts I know it was like ridiculous hours uh, of the morning I caught uh Ben Stark's draft um of day one which was a fantastic draft yeah if you go catch a uh, perfect video. deck of trying to stick in your lane and figure out what your lane's supposed to be he, he got like a third turned out nice. Like third
1: or fourth pick whining constructor though one of his packs yeah. I'm like wait what I've first picked his, that card before. I think it was his first pack was real. It was kind of shaky. Um, he could have. His second pack was better. It, well, his first pack was relatively shaky. His second pack, I think, is when he got the Winding Constrictor and just moved all in on that strategy. Ended up getting a Gaunti and a couple other really powerful cards. Uh, that was in pack three. Yeah, in pack three. So it was one of those like he slid. A, uh, uh, he didn't see a whole lot of green coming around uh, from his right in the packs one and three, but. Because the people in green were like one or two seats to his right he was able to just get a ton of good green cards coming his way in pack two enough that he could get his quality card, green cards in two and then get his other color which ended up being black in pack three yeah so it's a, like
0: he got like a gaunti a marionette master it was just, it's, uh, it's a great it it's, a, silly. it's a great
1: draft to look at to see like okay you kind of put yourself in maybe in solidly in one he put himself in black it was what was his extra color gonna be uh, in pack one. And then solidify.
0: He was hedging between like he he had his main color in green. And it was hedging between black and blue, but blue didn't seem very open. And then he got the Wynd so Constrictor
1: third pick or second or third pick, yeah. and was like just straight go green black and started value picking cards. Like it, it's a great draft. Um, we mentioned uh, at the in the uh, issue call uh, Caesar Segovia. He went eight zero. He actually ended up winning overall in that round eight and zero. However, he fell off, like, entirely in day two. His, like, his first draft, it was rather painful to watch. I
0: haven't watched it yet, so I can only imagine how bad it was. Well, to to
1: be, I'll have to be perfectly fair for him. His seat wasn't amazing, but it looked almost like he was nervous being at the top draft table drafting, um... Some picks like the the announcers you'll know, kind of say one card and then he just like pick a different card and you're just like okay well he's doing this now and it's like jumped around a little bit it was eh, it, it, yeah it just you can have nice perspective on either things um a couple things I noticed from other 3o draft decks uh, wizards actually put a video up on the YouTube channel of they went oh they covered some decks in the beginning of day two from day one that went 30 so it was kind of cool uh, they just reviewed some of those. Black seems to be one of the primarily played colors amongst it. Like One was like a black-red deck, one was a blue-black deck, another was a green-black deck. There was actually a blue-red deck, which was really weak in draft in Kaladesh, but a blue-red deck 3-0'd here, uh, apparently because you can pick up a lot of blue late from these pro drafters, because they don't value it oh, as yeah. highly. So you can actually be like, well, looks like I'm getting a bunch of good blue, I'm going to take some good blue. It's not like where it was... I forgot the format where like you you could even draft just mono because nobody picked white. Was that M fifteen yeah. or fourteen?
0: Uh, uh Origins and M fifteen both had that problem. Yeah,
1: you no one picked white, but even if you picked just white Oh no,
0: M fourteen M- was the you can't pick you can't pick white cards. Yeah. Uh M fifteen and Origins had the problem where like the best common was white.
1: Oh yeah, mythic on commons were white. So you pick white, it's like nope, stay out of it. So
0: Yeah. But Um,
1: drafting this format looks pretty cool. Um,
0: It does seem very aggressive because, like, there are some teams that were said that Aether Chaser is the best common. Yeah. Not best red common, best common.
1: Though, yeah, that's what they were like. Actually, one of the things they touched upon was that Aether Chaser was just so much more highly valued. Like, they would go out of their way to pick it over other cards.
0: Yeah, which is silly. But. You know, sometimes when you, when you are trying to find your edge, that is one way to find it, is when you say, this is the best card, we're going to take it higher than anyone else, and if we see it late, then somebody's made a mistake. Yeah. But, in any case.
1: Seems good.
0: That is kind of the Pro Tour in a nutshell. Uh, congratulations to Lucas uh, for his fantastic finish. Uh, and by the way, Lucas was on uh, Team Dex 3rd, and Marcia was on Team Dex Army and they, were, they helped fuel those top finishes for those teams.
1: Yeah, it's, it's obvious what that testing house decided was the, uh, the, the deck of choice for the weekend.
0: Oh, yeah. Uh, and the Pro Tour seems sweet. I'm excited to see what GP Pittsburgh is going to bring. Uh, I don't know if there's going to be a breakout deck necessarily like we saw with the Blue-White Flash deck with, you know, Spell Queller. And, um, Speaking of that deck. currently banned Reflector Mage. Yeah, that deck was
1: nowhere it's it's amazing. People are just like without Reflector Mage. People are like, oh, the deck's still strong. Maybe it might no. It was nowhere.
0: <laughs> it yeah no. Reflector Mage was actually just the bees. There needs. was
1: that one. There was that uh, one blue white deck that kind of played around it, but it was mostly like white touching on blue for counter spells and stuff and spellcaller. Yeah. It's it's so, fallen off the charts. I think the the ban actually kind of helped.
0: Yeah. It could, does. I will be you, interested to could, see. Could you, could
1: you just imagine though, the vehicle decks. If Smuggler's Copter were
0: still around, uh, I mean, they'd have to choose between it and Heart of Karen. but they sure. They made
1: a great call getting banning it yeah. before this.
0: Uh, definitely. I mean, the medicine's incredibly quick, um, but we will see how next week it breaks out. Like, for example, I don't even know if like our style of control decks that we were playing are going to necessarily bust out and be super impactful. I,
1: yeah, like so like I mentioned when we play a, a Grex's Tower Control it's mostly just a blue blue red style of the t- uh, control decks like a lot of them are playing a bunch of spells with a couple towers and just four gear hulks uh, just to grind sheer value out you want to stick your tower if you can as early as possible and I had in one of the games I was playing today I think I got up to like 19 energy
0: generated off of it I've had 21 energy yeah,
1: I got like 19 energy generated <laughs> off of it which is like alright and step tap you hit you for three
0: untap hit you for three swing for five you're dead i was playtesting with someone uh they're on an empty board i had 20 energy so i was like six you six you attack for five you're dead
1: (laughs) it's a fun deck um one one card of note in our control decks that like uh, seth manfield actually put a really great article about cards not played a lot um one of them i forget was it was sphinx in the
0: article Sphinx was not in the article, but Sphinx is like, oh my god. So, Sphinx <laughs> is the final word from Oath of the Gate Watch. You, you would have forgiven if you forget this card. It's a mythic. It's a 5 5 for 5 blue blue mythic Sphinx. Uh, it has flying, and it has hexproof. It can't be countered, and your instant and sorceries can't be countered. As
1: long as it's on the battlefield.
0: Yeah, as long as it's on the battlefield. Like, if it dies, that's your own fault. Let me tell you uh, what, but against no.
1: the mirror, that card is ridiculous.
0: I was playing against my friend Devin at in the last round of the last PPTQ which was really which was really unfortunate. We were both two and two. We needed we were on the win and pray to try to get in, but we played and I landed it on turn 2 and every single turn he just goes, "I hate that card. I hate that card." Cuz he couldn't remove it. He couldn't counter any of my spells and he knew that nothing he cast was going to resolve. Yeah, I I I've
1: gone I went a, a game where I went Gear Hulk to what was it? Gear Hulk Casting uh, Glimmer of Genius and then next turn Sphinx. Because of the Glimmer of Genius, I had uh, two counter spells and two unlicensed destructions in my hand and seven mana with a DynaVolt Tower on the board. It was just disgusting.
0: Yeah, the the thing is that Sphinx of the Final Word just cannot be killed. Oh, it it is almost impossible for it to be killed. Like, they need to find a Wrath Effect, which they're not going to bring in against you since you're playing a four-creature control deck. And the only other way to kill it are Edict Effects, which there aren't very many of in the format. There's To the Slaughter. There's Perilous Predicaments, which is not a card you're going to play in standard, yeah. I don't to think, the sla- five To the mana. Slaughter is
1: basically the one you're going to see the most for that. Another card you'll probably—the only one that can really match up well against it is a Boosted Heart of Kirin.
0: Yeah. and it's, it's so hard to remove and so hard to kill. It's—man, like— Talk about a card that is soaring up like just cards that I value incredibly highly in certain matchups. That is it. It's
1: a one of in the sideboard, too, which is the great part. Also, fun thing. like it's, He did mention a lot of really good cards in that article for Seth manth'll Just go check it out. Um, one thing I did like is he mentioned Flaying Tendrils. I have no doubt oh, yeah. in my mind we will see a bunch of flying Tendrils out there.
0: Yeah. With 31 of 32 um, Scrappy Scravengers in the top eight and just almost every deck that can play it playing it, yeah, that card is going to be around.
1: Yeah, um, I've I've even t- I was talking to John. Like I'm trying to think of how we can tweak our deck to be any different. And the only thing I can think of is tweaking the mana base slightly to favor a little bit more black. Because right now the only th- cards we're actually playing that are black in the deck are the Unlicensed Disintegration. Like we aren't even playing Fatal
0: and to and to the slaughter and to out of the
1: board. And to, to the slaughter. But we aren't even playing Fatal Push because everyone's like like I was brought, bringing it up and John made a great point is that we don't have a lot of ways to trigger Revolt to get that four thing. The only thing we have is what? Evolving Wilds? Evolving Wilds. Yeah, and that's...
0: And clues, occasionally. But I
1: usually I usually sideboard confirm suspicions out a lot.
0: Oh, I do. it depends on the matchup, but yeah. yes.
1: Um, and that's the only other one that really has any kind of sac effects that are easy to do um, on any regular basis. So, we're not playing Fatal Push, but I kind of want to tweak the mana base just to put... Because we have two Radiant Flames in the sideboard. I want to move one to the main and maybe put a Flame Tendrils or two in the sideboard. Just because against even some of these other decks, if you can just go on like a turn four or something like that, just be like, you know, flang tendrils, shock a thing, volt something with your Dyna tower, kill a bunch of things that would die, and then exile them so you don't come back.
0: Yeah. Um, Which is incredibly powerful. Yeah. It's, Especially getting rid of Scrappy Scratcher because that card's so
1: annoying. Yeah. So if you're playing a control deck, even if you're Saheli control, and you're looking to get away from that Like even Jeskai Control Like straight up Jeskai Control is in deck Look to play Dynavold Tower And Seth man- men- mentions it in his article Like it's the alternate win con Because remember we only have four Gear Hulks in the deck Gear Hulks, yeah. <laughs> You're not gonna If they kill your Gear Hulks And you lose your Gear Hulks, You're done
0: I mean four Wandering Fumeroles Can get the job done too But that's a little bit more mana intensive
1: And remember it will Like if they have a walking ballista out You can only hit for one <laughs> At any given time. Yes.
0: Yeah. That's another card that's just ridiculous. Anyways, I think that's going to do it for us today. Uh, probably next week we'll, we'll, we can probably spend more time talking about this uh, blue-red control deck because, man, I'm having a lot of fun Yeah,
1: John's it. taking it to game day. I'm playing online. We're probably going to st- – like, I know I want to stream it with him. I have a long weekend coming up next week, so – I'll definitely try and stream a little bit of it. I'm just like playing a league right now to get a little bit more of a better feel for the deck, but I definitely will probably be streaming some Constructed. Uh, Everyone's everyone's streaming Draft now. But speaking of that, you guys can find me on Twitter at DixonIJ. Um, Again, I'm still on a uh, protected tweets mode, uh, so if you would like to follow, please just uh, uh, send a request to follow. I'll click and approve it. Usually I'll just like you know quickly vet, be like, okay, they're talking about magic, cool. Uh, also on Twitch at twitch.tv slash dicks D I X. Uh, follow there, uh, get updates on if I'm streaming or not. John, where can they find you?
0: You guys can find me on Twitter at jwiley is J W I L E Y one two nine. You can also find me on Twitch by the same handle. I'm usually just lurking in chats occasionally, jumping in here or there. Uh, my, my most recent activity has been in uh, Illion's Chats, where they've been doing uh, Jackbox Party games. Oh, yeah. Those are fun. Yeah, he,
1: did, he has some good streams. Streams Magic, streams oh, Eternal. Yeah. Good guy overall.
0: Oh, yes, absolutely. Um, if you want to reach the podcast directly, you can do so on Twitter, at Eyes and the Mize. Or if you have a more personal question, shoot us an email at eyesonthemize at gmail.com. And don't forget to please give us your feedback. We would love to hear how we can best improve the podcast for your listening experience. In any case, that's it for Ian and I. Thank you guys so much for listening, and we'll talk to you all next time. (laughs)